0: If you've been coming to Remedy for the month of December, we've been going through a series called True and Better. If you haven't been coming to Remedy over the month of December, fret not. You've just got the entire month of December right there in three-minute video. So um, that's good news for you. We are uh, in our last sermon of what's called True and Better. And we've been looking at Old Testament characters and seeing how those stories are not just stories in and of themselves, but instead, they're stories of Jesus. Not just a story about Abraham, but also how those stories connect to Christ. And so, um, we're going to talk about Jesus. As we've been going through the Old Testament stories, we thought it would be perfect On Christmas Eve to not necessarily cover an Old Testament story, but talk about the one that all the Old Testament stories are talking about, Jesus on Christmas Eve. So today, we're going to be pointing to Jesus as our Savior. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke 1. That's where we'll be. We'll just be in just about three verses. That'll be it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. But um, again, for all of you that are here or just arriving, I want to thank you for being here. We are thrilled that you would choose to spend your Christmas Eve with us um, thank you very much for being here. And kids, um, you should have gotten a big packet of like 12 pages of things to do. You can go ahead and start coloring those and figuring out all those puzzles now. This is the time to get after it. So I'm going to pray and then we will we will jump in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I just pray for my mind and my heart, Lord, that you would guide me to to speak with a clarity that everyone here that's a believer or non-believer sees and understands who Christ is and what he's done and that we will all leave here rejoicing for the son of God has come to save us we pray this in Jesus name amen So the Bible, as it said, is not just a series of disconnected stories. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not familiar with Christmas or Christianity, it can seem very confusing. It can seem uh, at first like you don't understand necessarily what it's all about. I, I experience this myself every time I go to one of these new Gas stations. Every time I go to the new gas pumps, there's like a series of 14 billion questions you have to go through just to be able to use it. What's your zip code? Do you want to pay in cash? Do you want to pay in debit? Do you want to pay in credit? What kind of... receipt do you want? Yes or no? Do you want a car wash? You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure it all out. What's my blood type? And I'm just like, why are you asking me all these particular things? I just want gas. Like I, that's all I want. In, out, give me my gas. I don't want to go through all this. And it seems very confusing, kind of overwhelming. And I think to myself, it shouldn't be this difficult. It's not supposed to be like this. And I think that if you're approaching Christianity for the first time, if you're approaching the Bible and you're reading all these random stories throughout the Old Testament, and you're thinking, I don't understand. It's not supposed to be this difficult. Difficult. Why is it that I'm not getting it? I think that that's exactly the the way you're supposed to feel, but it's not supposed to be that difficult. Some may view uh, understanding the Bible or Christianity or church this way, and from the outside, there may seem like there's several jumps you have to go through and things to do, but that would be a mistake because there's just one simple message, and the entire story is about Jesus. And so, what I want to do today, then, very simply tonight, is just tell you who Jesus is. I want to tell you who he is from his own words here in the Bible. So there's five things that we're going to look at. We're going to to go through these pretty quickly, and this is actually for everybody. For those that don't know Christ here today, for those that think they may know Christ here today, and maybe they perhaps don't, and for those that definitely know Christ, these five descriptors are meant to do the same thing. Draw you in to worship whether you aren't him, to draw you in to know him. And if you do know him, to draw you in to rejoice in this season that he has come to save us. So there's five descriptors that I want you to see. Right here in Luke chapter 1, you can look at verse 31. And we're, we're picking up in the middle of a story. I know that's necessar- not necessarily the best thing to do, but I'll just give you the lowdown. Um, you're probably familiar with the Christmas story. I'm sure Linus has told it to you every single year. Um, but basically, we're picking up at the part where the angel is visiting Mary and saying that she's pregnant and that she's going to have a baby. And, and we're in the middle of that conversation and she, the angel's kind of telling Mary about this particular son that she's going to have. Uh, so that's where, we're, that's where we are. If you want to look at verse 31, <clears throat> that's where we're going to be. And we're picking up the conversation where the angel is telling her about Jesus. And so what we're doing from our perspective is we've been talking about the whole Bible's about Jesus. Who is he? What's he about? And so as the angel is telling Mary about who this boy is going to be, we are 2,000 years later going to see who Christ is. That's all I want you to know today is who is Jesus? Who is he? Christian or non, it's so imperative that we all know who he is. So look there at verse 31 and it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here we go with some of the descriptions. Verse 32, it says, And he will be great. That's the first descriptor of Jesus, that he is great. In Luke 1, 32 Isaiah, in the Old Testament, there's a a glimpse of where Isaiah looks upon God on his throne. And as we look back, we know that that's actually not just him seeing God the Father, but the New Testament tells us that Isaiah is actually looking on King Jesus sitting on his throne. And there's one little description. So when we say Jesus is great, we we can't just use that term loosely. We, We use the term great so loosely, like, oh, this pizza is great. Oh, the 49ers are great. Oh, the Gamecocks are great. Like we just throw around this great term like it's, like it's kind of whatever. But in the Bible, when it uses the word great, it's not wanting us to equate it with the cheeseburger we had for lunch. So as we see Jesus and he's saying, he is great, there's a big contrast that's trying to be shown here in Luke 1 where man, in, in response to or in view of God, is not great. But God is great. It's not that we're horrible. We are made in the image of God. Certainly we know that we're sinners. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we are made in the view of God. So this is nice balance to, to strike with us. But in view of Jesus, he is great. And so just one little text from the Old Testament, whenever there's Isaiah looking on the throne of, of Jesus and he sees him, he, he says this about him just to help us put some meat around. What does it mean to say Jesus is great? Isaiah looks at him and he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean that is great. For a cheeseburger or whatever you think is great, the whole earth is not full of the glory of, you know, whatever it fill in the blank of the Seahawks. You know what I mean? But when it says about Jesus, he is great, he's saying that he's so holy, we're going to say it three times. And when we talk about him, we're going to say the whole earth is full of his glory. He is so great. So as we're coming here this evening, we're talking about who is Jesus. Jesus is great. He's amazing. He's astounding. He's beyond what you could ever conceive. That's the God that came and laid in a manger 2,000 years ago. He is great. The second description is right there. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The second description is that he is the Son of the Most High. This literally means that he is the Son of God. So he's not just great. He's not just that the whole earth is full of his glory. He is literally God incarnate, God in flesh. Jesus is God. There's no question about that. Several times throughout the New Testament, Jesus claims to be God repeatedly. He doesn't just kind of throw it out there and see what people think. He is, all the time, as he's doing his ministry, telling people that he is God. At one particular place, and that's that's all we really have time for today, in John 58, as he's looking on the Pharisees, he tells them this, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'before Abraham was, I am.'" And this I am word is, in the Old Testament, the word Yahweh. It just means God. I am means I am that I am. I'm God. And so in this particular moment, Jesus is looking at the people who knew the Old Testament better than anybody at the time and says, I'm God. And we know that they thought that that's what he was saying because then they wanted to kill him. Like immediately they're trying to pick up rocks and stone him and saying, you're blaspheming. How can you say that you're God? But Jesus claims to be God. And you probably heard the old C.S. Lewis thing where he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's either lying and he's not God or he's just a lunatic and he's just crazy Or he's Lord. And it can only be one of those three. We can't just say, I'm going to be the other L, lazy about it and not think about it. Because that will cost us all dearly in the end. He is not just great, but also he is the son of the most high, which means that he is God himself. And if this baby who was born 2,000 years is God, it certainly has massive implications for us. Because the life he lived showed us that there were a lot of things that he did that say that we need to take note of who he is. We can't just walk through life and act like this guy, Jesus, did not exist. So the second description is that he is the Son of the Most High, that he is God. The third description tells us right here in that exact same verse, he will be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, we read that and if you're not necessarily too familiar with the Old Testament, you just might think, okay, he's getting a little space over somewhere in the Middle East, right there in Jerusalem. He, David used to be the king of, you know, the little small little space and now he gets to be the next king over that little space. Good for him. That, that seems good. We've got a present over here. England's got a, a queen. They'll, looks like they'll never have a king, but one day maybe they will and all these other countries have kings and Jesus just gets to have that one little plot of land one day and that'll be his spot. But as we read that, it's not making us think that some kind of little small geographical location that he's the king over. When it says here, and he, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, what he's wanting us to um, understand is back in 2 Samuel, when David was told that he was going to be king, in 2 Samuel seven thirteen, he tells him, he, tells, he said of David this, David, I will establish the throne of your kingdom Forever. I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. And then in this particular verse, this guy, Jesus, who is Jesus? He is the one that is going to, as it says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Therefore, what was said of David is really, since David is in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the true and better David, that Jesus is the one that will inherit this kingdom forever. He will inherit the, king, the kingdom and the throne of the world forever. So as we look on that Isaiah passage where it says the whole earth is filled with his glory, the whole earth is also his kingdom, not some small, tiny little geographical land right there in Jerusalem, but instead the entire earth. Jesus is the king of the Americas. Jesus is the king of Canada. Jesus is the king of Mexico. Jesus is the king of every single place on the entire earth. So when we see that Jesus is the ruler of David's throne, that means that Jesus is the king of the world. That's not just some small thing. And not only that, Jesus is the king of the world forever. Not his short 75 years or 30 years or however long we live on the average. You know, what are we, 73 years now? I don't know. But Jesus doesn't just get to be king for a little bit of his life. Jesus is king forever. We're going to see that also in the next text. So as we look at this, we realize that Jesus is the king of the world. Not only that, he's also the ruler or reigner of his own people. You can see this if you keep going. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over, here it is, the house of Jacob forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So there's a little distinction between this third description and this fourth. In the third description, we see that Jesus is the ruler of David's throne. In the fourth description, we see that Jesus reigns over Jacob's house forever. So the the distinction between the two is this. Jesus is the king of the world, which means every person... Whether they're in his family or not, whether they are not a part of the church or are a part of the church or not, he's the king over every single one of them. Whether we, people believe in Jesus or not, he's still the king. But the second distinction, this, this number four, is talking specifically about his people, the deep relationship that he has with them, his family. Jacob, the house of Jacob, the Israelites. And as we've gone into the New Testament, there's ample evidence that says that it was just the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but now God has included the Gentiles. So that means every person in the world now, by faith in Jesus, can be included into this family of God. So when we see here that he is the, the reigner over the house of Jacob, that he reigns over Jacob's house forever, there we see that he is intimately involved in his people's lives, that he reigns over his people. He rules over the whole world as king, believers and unbelievers. We know from Philippians that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus one day. Every knee, whether they're Christians or not, they won't have a choice. Every single person in this room, whether you choose to reject Christ forever or you are deeply following him right now, Every one of our needs will buckle at the side of him one day and say, you're Lord, willingly or unwillingly. But in this particular place where it says Jesus reigns over Jacob's house forever, this is drawing us into an intimacy with the one that cares for us, the lover of our souls. There's one particular place in the Old Testament in Daniel where it talks about him. And it says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So we know that he will be over his people, and they will be his people forever in his second kingdom, which will come one day. And everybody that's in his family will be with King Jesus in a deep, loving relationship forever. So who is Jesus? Thus far, we've seen four descriptions, and we've run out of text, 31 through 33, and I said that was it. But there's one more, and I'm going to show it to you. So, so far, have we seen this, that he is great, that he is God's son, That he is the king of the entire world. And lastly, that he reigns over the house of Jacob. He is intimately and deeply involved with every single person that is a Christian and loves them forever and we will be with him forever. But the last one is this. So if you're asking, what's this last one? How can I as you've said know this guy? How can I know this man? This this baby that everybody talks about? How can I know him because he did grow up and he did eventually have a 3-year ministry where he did miracles and he also died on a cross and I believe that. I've heard that. I know that that's historical fact. People that aren't even Christians that had no reason to say that this man really died on a cross like uh, a guy named Josephus said that it actually happened 500 people said after he died on the cross that he was resurrected from the dead so if he really came back to life and 500 people said I saw it with my own eyes there's no question about it and they know that by saying that their own life is at risk they know that they're going to die and many of them did because they said that which means it has to be true Like, why else would they say it? Why else would we die for some big lie? That doesn't make any sense. And so all these people are saying, not only did he die, but he also came back to life. And so as we hear, well, if he's intimately involved, like number four says, with his very own people's lives, how can I be one of them? That sounds exactly like what I've been looking for my entire life. Intimacy, depth, relationship being known by the God that created me. No one knows you better than the God that created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And every single one of us, if we're honest, has a deep longing inside of us that cries out to know him. Just like any child that doesn't know their father, if they were adopted or born as an orphan and they don't know their, their father, we see all these stories. Every single one of them wants to know, just, I just want to know who he is. Even if I don't have a relationship, I want to to see him. I want to know what he looks like. I just want to know who he is. That's not by accident. That's just an image or a foreshadow of the divine yearning in all of us to know the one that created us. And so all of us want to know him. And so this last one that I want you to see when we say, what's the fifth description of Jesus? Who is he? It's actually back up in verse 31. If you look at verse 31, and it's right there in his name. And it says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So when we say Jesus, the last description is Jesus. In the Greek, this is Yesu. And if you take that same word, Yesu, and put it in the Hebrew, it's Joshua. And the word Joshua, so Jesus and Joshua is actually the exact same word. It's the exact same word. And Joshua means God saves. So who is Jesus? The fifth description is this. Jesus is salvation. He is the one that saves. Faith in Christ saves us forever. Saves. This might be new language to you. Saves. What does that mean? Saves me from what? What do I need to be saved from? What does that mean? Well, instead of using Luke, I'm going to just move over about seven or eight pages to the left, maybe more than that, into the book of Matthew. Matthew actually, and his in his gospel or in his writing explains to us what this means with a little bit more detail. So if you look at Matthew one twenty one, or you don't have to I'm just going to read it to you it's just one verse it gives us a little bit of explanation on what we mean when we say Jesus is salvation. This is what it says. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Remember, we already know what all that means then. We know that means God is salvation. You're going to call him Yesu, Joshua. God is is bringing salvation. I'm going to call him, God brings salvation. The Lord saves, and then it says right after that, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So when we say Jesus is salvation, we literally mean that he saves his people, those that he rules and reigns over in the house of Jacob, which now Gentiles can be included, if anyone by faith trusts and believes in what Jesus did for on the cross, then we can also be saved. We can also be saved from our sins. This means that he, Jesus, he's the only one that can save us. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Those are the very words of Jesus, meaning there is no other way to know God There is no other way to achieve salvation other than Christ. There's lots of other religions. There's lots of other strategies. There's there's the weight scales or whatever. And Jesus just blow those all out of the water. He says, no one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except through me. And he'll save us. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be emancipated from the greatest evil. The guilt, the pollution, the power, and the punishment of all the things that should be given to us because because of our sin All those things can be taken off of us and then placed on the head of Jesus. And he willingly receives all that. And then his perfect life that he lived, he takes that and then he, the, the word is impute and gives us that. So a great exchange happens. All of our filth, all of our pollution, all of our punishment that we rightly deserved, removed from us, put on Jesus and he willingly accepts it and we receive forgiveness of sin. We received right standing with God forever. We receive emancipation. Who does he do this for? His people. He would save his people from their sins. And you're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm one of his people. You can definitely be one of his people tonight. Just says it. Easily in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief and confession. And then we're saved. We're a child of God. You say, is it that easy? Yes. The message is very simple. Now, it isn't just like, I'll do that, and then next week I'll try something else. I'm going to try them all. If I just go down the buffet line of everything, one of them's got to work. That's not That's not it. Back up to, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what happens. This is what happens. For those that truly place their faith in Christ, repent of their sin, confess their sin, and follow Him, this is what I notice happens. Something happens in your heart where you say, All I want to do is know Him. All I want to do is follow Him. I don't want to try the buffet line anymore because I have found the answer. He is the one that saves. He is the one that forgives. What love to take all that punishment for me. Now all I want to know is him, pursue him, live my life for him. He saves his people from their sins. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we all take this simple self-assessment and we're honest, we'll say, that's true of me. I have sinned. I have sinned somewhere in my life. And he's saying that since everyone has sinned, we know that in Romans 3.23. I just told the church the other day, don't ever read Romans 3.23 without reading Romans 3.24. So let me read you Romans 3.24 because we know that that's the simple self-assessment that every single one of us, if we look at our lives, we're honest, we know that we sin. But 3.24 says, and we can be justified, that means forgiven, declared righteous, declared innocent, By his grace as a gift, this, how can I achieve salvation? Don't I have to do something for God? Don't I have to like pay an offering every week? Don't I have to, you know, be a deacon? Don't I need to go to Africa? Don't I I have to pay him back somehow, right? Got to be a missionary forever in the 1040 window. It's a gift. It's a free gift. You may want to. God may call you to do that, but you're not paying God back. You're just operating out of love if you do those things. He says, but he justifies us by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption, atonement, rescue, release, deliverance, liberation, salvation, recovery, being bought back, purchased, forgiven. This is what we mean when we say redemption. And so the question is, who is Jesus? That's who he is. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the one that reigns over the house of David. Jesus is the king of the world. Jesus is great. Jesus is God. He's the son of the Most High, which begs the next question. Since we know who he is, the next question is Are we confident then that we know him? Are we confident this night that we know him? Because he is great. He is God. He is the deliverer. He is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one of all throughout the Old Testament to be the deliverer of our souls. He is salvation and he can save you from all of your sins right now, tonight. All of your punishment put on him, all of his perfection given to you. Do you know Christ? You have the opportunity to respond right now. If you want to trust Christ, we're gonna pray and I just invite for you to repent, confess, and put your faith and what Christ has done on the cross, and that he did raise from the dead, showing that he's, he defeated Satan's sin and death for us on our behalf, and now we can live forever forgiven for our sins.